that song. Yes. Randy knows that. Thank you, Randy. I think I've gone to the church website and listened to that at least a hundred times. It's got to be my favorite. As soon as I heard this morning, the tears came. Now I don't think I can preach. I'm just kidding. We're going to be in John chapter 8 this morning. Uh, we're not going to start at the beginning of the uh, the chapter, though, so I have to catch up a little bit. But I just want to say, by way of introduction, <clears throat> first of all, that um, many times people look at the Bible and and they they think it rather benign. They think it's a nice book full of nice things and helpful things. We're going to look at some things today that uh, are actually very helpful, but they're not benign at all. They're actually very striking. I hope you can see that. I hope it helps. So in John chapter 8, at the beginning, Jesus comes to the temple to teach the people. And uh, the religious rulers of the Jews hate him. And they want to trip him up and get him in trouble. And this is the chapter where they bring the adulterous woman and try to challenge him. And as you might recall, it totally backfires. After this, Jesus turns to the people and declares himself to be the light of the world, which triggers an attack and a debate with the religious rulers about who he really was. It's during this time when he's talking with them, he spoke, that many believed in him. So we're going to pick up in verse 30, and Jesus has a crowd of people in front of him, and some of them believe and some of them don't. So starting in verse 30, it says that, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those, to those who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What truth? Well, the whole argument had been over who he really was, right? Some put their faith in him and some did not. Those who did would be made free. Free from what? Well, we actually, if we go back to verse 23, it says, And he said to them, he's speaking to the rulers, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will die in your sins. So it's clear. Those who believe would no longer die in their sins, right? And those who did not believe would. Why is that a problem? Dying in your sins is like going to court and judgment with no defense. Jesus makes this clear as he talks about the two possible roads. We pick it up in verse 34. Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, And a slave of sin does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. It's interesting to note here and to remember in the context, the Jews were God's chosen people, right? Since Abraham and all of his descendants, that's what they've been called. People know that today who even don't really know much about the Jews know that. If there were religious leaders in the world, and you were to compare them all, you would think that the Jewish religious leaders would be on top, wouldn't you? 
And I think it's very profound that Jesus is saying to these men that they're in grave danger of dying in their sins. The common thought is, is that, you know, religious people all go to heaven, right? And if religious people do, surely the leaders must. So if that's what you believe, then this would be a little bit of a shock to you to hear Jesus' words this morning, that it's in fact not true. From this you conclude that not all religious leaders are of God or represent God. And consider what that means. It means whatever they're teaching you is is not true. There may be some truth mixed in, but there's something definitely wrong. Wrong enough to be to put you in mortal danger. And if you follow them, you'll end up where they end up. And it won't be with God. We need to be careful about what we believe. So thinking people in a situation like this have asked this question a million times. I still hear it today. Well, how do you know which is the right religion? And it's a difficult question for people to answer. It becomes even more difficult today because in our culture today, I don't know about the rest of the world, but especially in this country, we don't always want to hear the truth, do we? I won't go into false news and all that stuff. Today, people hate the idea of one right religion. Tolerance has become more important than even truth. So because they don't want to be wrong and they don't want anybody else to be wrong, the conclusion they, that they come to or, or the way they want things to be is they say, well, all roads lead to God. Clearly, that is not the case if Jesus is warning these guys that they're wrong about what they believe. What should we do? We need to have discernment, don't we? Because this is, an ex- this is the most important subject or issue in a human being's life ever, isn't it? Well, Jesus goes on to help us how to detect those who say they know God, but do not know. Starting in verse 37. He says, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me. There's something wrong with that right there, isn't there? Because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. And they answered it and said, Abraham is our father. So now remember Abraham, he was the, the, he was the first one that God called, God chose. And all the descendants of, of Abraham since then has um, established the Jewish nation. Now watch now what Jesus says in the latter part of the verse. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Makes sense, doesn't it? What does that mean? It's simple. You would be like Abraham. You would believe what he did. Abraham believed the promise of God that there was a Messiah coming who would save all people from their sins. He looked forward to that day. In fact, the scripture says he saw it. He saw it by faith. Were the Jewish leaders being like Abraham? Here you have this person who's fitting all the prophecies of the Messiah and he's got all the proofs. There he is performing miracles right in front of them sometimes. 
raising people from the dead. What more do you need? He had a life who proved who he was, and his teaching reflected God, didn't it? What does he say to them in verse 40? But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. Striking sentence about to come. Are you ready? You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Scary words. Because you are not of God and your father is the devil. Remember who he's talking to. Jesus makes some other statements in other parts of the, of the Gospels that helps clarify this, and I want to read those too. In Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21, he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Listen to what he goes on to say here, because this is really, this should wake people up. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? That sounds like a pretty uh, astounding list of things to do, doesn't it? But what does Jesus say? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Ouch. You realize what he's saying. There are going to be people who are going to die and face God convinced that they have lived for God only to be shocked to find out they were just about as far off base as you could possibly be. How could that happen? In verses 13 and 14, he says something astounding as well in chapter 7 of John. Or, I'm sorry, Matthew. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because the because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. That verse is clearly saying not all roads lead to God, but not only that, the majority are not going to be saved. It's only the minority. 
That should motivate, motivate us further to want to know the truth, right? What's the right way, God? I do not want to be wrong. This is, this is too important. Jesus gives some, us uh, some advice in verses 15 through 20. I'm sorry to, to read his words so much, but he's saying it all. I don't need to say it, right? Beware of false prophets who will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, how will you know these people? You will know them by the fruit, their fruits. You'll know them by their lives, by what they believe, by what they do. That last sentence is key. There are false prophets running religions and recruiting people into them. Clearly, the evil that they're doing is not so obvious or people wouldn't join so easily, would they? That's why we need to be careful about what we believe and who we follow. But is there evidence or information that would help us to know? Well, Jesus is doing that for us, isn't he? How do we avoid joining churches or religions like this? And think about it. Apply what Jesus says. It's the fruit. What do you see? What do they believe? What do they do? Right? <clears throat> we just came back from Italy, and Rome was one of our, our favorite spots to, uh, to tour. Uh, it's amazing what is there. But looking back in history, the Romans were a polytheistic group. They believed in many gods. They had a god for everything. Anything, any issue you had to, to, uh, to deal with in your life, there was a god you could pray to. But if you read about their gods, which we don't have time to do, they're not gods that I would, I would trust. Or I'd even want to be around. They were jealous, vengeful, cruel, and merciless. <laughs> but that kind of sounds like the Romans, doesn't it? Especially when you think about the crucifixion and how they ruled people as they did. One of the things I learned about the Colosseum, the, the motivation for having the gladiators and the games there, was to keep the warlike spirit alive in the people because it had been their warlike spirit and their ability that got them all they had. They didn't want to lose it. Now, the Romans did not invent crucifixion, by the way. The Persians did, but the Romans definitely perfected it. The Romans reflected their gods, but if you think about it, despite their strength, their wealth, their knowledge, the buildings that are still standing today, They've passed into history, haven't they? And actually, so have their gods, haven't they? Because if you say, well, if all, all gods are real and our religions are right, you have to say, well, where are their gods today? But they're nowhere, are they? We don't believe. We look back and we say, oh, those are just myths. It, they weren't myths to them. Makes you wonder how many people believe in gods today that are not real, doesn't it? It should. It's very easy to do. Their gods were gods of their imagination. I have a good friend who calls himself a Christian, and he reads his Bible, but he has decided that there's no way a loving God could actually send people to hell. So he's decided that he doesn't believe that. And I guess that means he needs to cut all those verses out of his Bible, right? He's made a god of his own imagination. 
The God he believes in is not the God of the Bible, no matter what he says. That can be proven, right? And as a result, I don't see a lot of Christianity. I mean, he's a nice guy, but there's nothing, not much scripturally do I see in his life. So when we think about this, if we're looking at, at religions, a true religion is going to reflect the true God, isn't it? What are our options in this world? Well, there are a ton of religions, aren't there? Tons of them. Uh, and certainly we don't have time to go through them all. And you'd probably fall asleep if I did. Um, so I want to look at four major religions, and I'm intentionally not going to use any names. Because I don't want you to think about the names. I want you to listen to what it is they believe and what they do. And then think about Jesus saying, you will know them by their fruits, okay? And you might say, well, you're going to get a theological on us. Let me tell you something right now. One of the things the devil wants to do is he doesn't want you to know the truth. And he's going to make theology think about, think, be like this big, ugly, complicated thing that you can't understand, so you won't know. So this is not hard. So we're going to look at the first church, and uh, I'm going to read something directly from what they say in their own writings. Um, I have abbreviated a little bit, and I'll explain it. But it says, If anyone says that by faith alone the sinner is justified, in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification, let him be anathema. Anathema means cursed. Okay, now some of you probably got that, but let me just, let me just say here what, what, what they're really saying. They're saying that if somebody says that I can be right with God through faith alone, then you're cursed. And for those of you who know your Bible, there's a big problem with that, isn't there? They totally disagree that you can be saved by faith alone without doing anything else. Well, one of the problems is that they don't understand the problem. But, if I, there are a lot of verses we could talk, we could use to, to counter this, but let me just tell you what Romans 3.28 says. Think about what they said and think about what the Bible says. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now, it can't be any clearer that they are totally contradicting the Bible, the book which they say is the basis for their religion. That's yeah, not uncommon. And they will tell you that only their trained people can interpret the Bible, but I don't think any of you needed any help this morning, did you? What would, I, what would you think if I told you that by 400 A.D., the Bible had been translated into 500 languages? And that by 500 A.D., this one church had reduced it to one language? Now, why would a church do that? Control. You know that's control. They intended to control the people by controlling what they knew. Well, that didn't stop people. People wanted that Bible translated, and they tried to do it. And so you know, you know what this church did? Burned them at the stake. People who translated the Bible into English were put to death. And mothers and fathers who tried to teach their children, the Lord's Prayer, were also burned at the stake. 
does this church represent God? And yet it is one of the largest churches in the world have been around probably the longest. Let's look at another. So most Christian-based religions believe that Jesus is God. For those of you in here, most of you, I think probably, if not all of you, believe that Jesus is God. We know that he is God. We know that in John 1.1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? Well, this particular religion uh, decided to rewrite their Bible, and John 1.1 in their Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. A God. One of... I have to guess many gods, huh? Or multiple gods. So if you know your Bible, you know that's a problem right away because what does the Bible say about how many gods there are? Well, there are tons of verses, but this is a good one. Isaiah 45, 22. Look at me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. If you go on to research this religion, you'll find it was started in the late 1800s by a man who came out of the Seventh-day Adventist church. And in 1880, in a magazine he printed, he talks about the deity of Christ. He says, it seems clear that his divinity was retained in humanity because he repeatedly spoke of himself as having come down from heaven and because he, though passing through trial and sorrow as a man, was yet possessed of the authority and exercise the prerogatives of God. That was in October of 1880. In 1954, this religion had a major change in their, in their doctrine. The question in, in just a short excerpt here, it says, should we worship Jesus? What do you guys think? Should we worship Jesus? He's God. He's the only one who should be worshiped, right? But the guy goes on to write, Consequently, since the scriptures teach that Jesus Christ is not a Trinitarian co-person with God the Father, but is a distinct person, the Son of God, the answer of the above question must be that no distinct worship should be rendered to Jesus Christ. So until 1954, they did think of Jesus as God, and in 54, they changed it completely obviously with the changing of the bile. So the, they immediately made themselves a polytheistic religion, more than one God, right? And they have lowered Jesus from who he really is. Do you think this is a religion we can trust? See their fruits? It's not hard to figure out. You can at least figure out who you shouldn't follow, right? By the way, if you join this organization, they will tell you how long to wear your sideburns and how short your skirt should be. You'll not be allowed to have birthdays, blood transfusions, celebrate Christmas or Easter. And you'll be told that all writings outside of their organization are of the devil. Boy, what control they have over the people at that point, right? This next religion is known for its clean-cut missionaries. I guess I kind of give this away, huh? And how it helps people out who are in need. What do they believe and what do they do? Well, right out of their writings, it says, Jesus paid for all of our sins when he suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane. Is that, is that what the Bible says? I'm sure it said he did it on the cross. Aren't you? It says, we accept Christ's atonement by repenting of our sins, being baptized, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, and obeying all the commandments. Obeying all the commandments. 
So they can't, like the first church, they don't believe uh, that it's faith alone either, huh? Because you got to obey all the commandments. Anybody here able to obey all the commandments? Yeah, me either. I don't know how they do it. They must have something special going on, right? <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's Romans 3.28 again. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So what they've said, what you heard, which is not theologically complicated, is the opposite of what the Bible says, right? Listen to what they say about the Bible. We believe the Bible to be the word of God as far as it is translated correctly. It gives them a little out there, doesn't it? In fact, they say our book is more correct than the Bible. Not something you hear them say too much, but it's in their writings. You know, one of the things I observed as I study comparative religions over the years is that most of the people in religions really don't know what they've signed up for. They don't know the history of their church, and they don't know what it really believes. And if they did, they probably wouldn't stay. I'll tell you what, if if uh, some of these people came up and knocked at the door and said, we want you to join our religion, but you can't do birthdays, Christmas, and Easter anymore, a lot of people wouldn't join up, would they? It's not until they get you well in and well indoctrinated that these things come out. It's all done on purpose. Well, this this particular religion has some pretty bizarre beliefs, too. Listen to this. We're almost done, don't worry. On first hearing, the doctrine that Lucifer and our Lord Jesus Christ are brothers may seem surprising to some. Sounds surprising to you? Do you hear what what they're saying? That Jesus and Lucifer are brothers. Okay? Especially to those uh, unacquainted with the church's revelations. But both the scriptures and the prophets affirm that Jesus Christ and Lucifer, Lucifer are indeed offspring of our Heavenly Father. Here is something the leader wrote who started this religion. He says, God himself was once as we are now. And what are we now? Humans. And is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heaven. We have imagined that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see. Wow. huh? He was pretty arrogant. The arrogance just pops off the page. And whenever I read this statement, when I think about this particular doctrine of theirs, I always think of Eve in the garden with the, with the serpent and him telling her, oh, you're not going to die. Eat the fruit and then you'll be like God. Isn't that what this religion is doing? You're a person, but one day you can become a God because that's what God was. He was once a man and he became a God. Well, you think this religion represents the God of the Bible? The last religion we're going to look at is one of the fastest growing religions today. Fastest growing religions. They have their own book too, and they also have a very different view of Jesus. If you go through religions, you'll find that the main thing that you want to focus on is what do they think of Jesus, and that'll tell you everything about them. They say that Jesus was a great prophet, but not the Son of God and not divine. They also say he was not crucified. In their writings, it says that they said, we killed Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, the messenger of Allah, but they killed him not, nor crucified him. But so it was made to appear to them. In their writings, they say that Jesus did not die. 
The four Gospels say he did. But what's interesting is that their book confirms that the Gospels are true. So which is it? Contradictions in cults are not uncommon. You can find stuff like this as you go through and study what they believe. Not that I encourage it, but you should know these things. You should understand. By the way, um, in their religion, their God will not love you unless you demonstrate that you love him first. There's a couple of other verses that I just want to read real quickly that kind of, that, that really demonstrates uh, whether a, a religion is true or not. Listen carefully to what this says, because this, this first verse in uh, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3, just one sentence in this verse describes parts of most religions. It says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits. That's part of the problem, huh? And doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods. Can you think of religions that do that? Yeah, just especially the food thing. They all have got something about not eating foods, don't they? What is that? I don't understand. Matthew 6, 7. It's very common in, in, in religions as well is, is repetitious prayer, right? Why do we, why did they say these prayers over and over and over again? How does that help? Jesus says in Matthew 6, 7, when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they will be heard for their many words. And, you know, after I became a Christian, I thought about this, and I thought, why would God want me to do that in the first place? If he's a person and he saves me and wants me in a relationship with him, why would I babble with repetitive words to him and not just talk to him like somebody who really cares about me? See what I mean? So in summary, too, we look at all four of these religions. They all have one person at their head. They all have their own writings that are not biblical. They all claim to be the one true church. Two of these religions are known for their wars. One is known for its continued false prophecies about the return of Christ, and another is known for its polygamy. All are known for their power and control over people and the brainwashing which goes on, which is why unbelievers often say, oh, you Christians, you're all brainwashed. Yeah, well, that, you know what? There are Christians out there who are. But the majority of the people in the world who call themselves believers or followers of God belong to these religions. Can they really be wrong? Listen to Jesus as he deals with people like this. These are, these are harsh words. Matthew 23, 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Wow. That's a hard-hitting combination. I would not want to be guilty of that. So all the religions in the world, except for the religion of the Bible, says that you have to do things in order to be right with God. 
your good deeds must outweigh your bad deeds. Very common belief. That's what I believed before I was saved. Well, let's put our lives before God and see how they hold up. James 4.17 Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. You ever had a right thing you should have done and you didn't do it? Guess what? God considers it sin. I think we're probably all guilty, right? I know I am. James 2.10 is a pretty tough verse. It really lays it on line. It makes it really hard. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point, he has become guilty of it all. Whoa. Is that what the Bible says, really? Seems rather harsh. I only have to break one commandment to be guilty of them all? People don't think about it. Truth be told is we have broken all the commandments, so it's really not an issue. But let's say you were only guilty of breaking one law. What are you? A lawbreaker. That's exactly right. Even if I keep other laws, I'm still a lawbreaker. Here's the problem. God is perfect, and so is heaven. Lawbreakers, no matter how many laws they don't break, they don't belong there, do they? Just one lawbreaker would ruin heaven, wouldn't it? We don't think about it from God's perspective. We only think about it from ours, right? All you need is just one bad family to move into your good neighborhood to ruin it, huh? Matthew twelve thirty six. But I tell you, every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. And how do you think that's going to go? Probably not very well. Is it easy to say careless words and things you shouldn't? How many of you said things you wish you'd never said? I cringe when I think about some of the things I've said in my life. That makes this situation seem pretty bleak, doesn't it? Is it really that bleak? Isaiah 64, 6. For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. It's another... It's another profound one, isn't it? All our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment to God. That's what he says. Gangsters have been known to give money to charities. Does that make them any better? No, it doesn't. The next two verse, God spells it out clearly. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. If there was, then that person wouldn't have to worry about being going to heaven. Of course, you might wonder why they're on the earth when they should be in heaven. But the reality is, is that there is no one. Romans chapter 3, as it is written in verse 10, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. For those of you who think, well, I can change, but what do you do about the stuff you've already done? But God challenges you in Jeremiah 13.23. Can an Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? then you also, can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil? Here is the major difference between what God and the Bible says and what religions say. Religion says, do your best. God says, your best is not good. 
Now, some of you here today, or some of you listening to me now or in the future, may say, well, John, you've used the Bible as your standard all along. You're probably going to tell me that God wrote the Bible, and I'm going to say, yes, he did. And then you say, you have proof of that? Well, you just heard proof. The Bible can completely condemns every person. That is not something a man would write. You know what a man would write? Go read the books of the four religions we talked about. That's what they'd write. And none of them say what this says. Now, there are a lot of proofs that the Bible has been written by God, but to me, that's a real key one. There are lots of verses, and I've been making a list of them, of things that God wrote that a man would never write. Okay, well, the next question, what happens to those who break the laws of God? Lawbreakers, well, they have to be punished, right? You've got to have justice, right? <sighs> we don't like this, but we know it's right, huh? I don't want justice. I, I, want, I want an escape. I want out of this somehow. How is my religion going to help me? There's no amount of prayer, Bible reading, money you give, deeds you can do to save you from what you've done, huh? I can't do it. A criminal can try to reform his life, and he should, but it doesn't really fix the damage he's done, huh? And this is the thing that people don't think about when they're thinking about God and judgment over their sin. What's the cost for breaking the laws of a holy God? Death, but not just physical death. That would be too easy, wouldn't it? And one of those religions we talked about, that's what they believe. If you don't, if, if you die and you're not part of the religion, well, you're just annihilated. Uh, you get away with murder then, huh? There's nothing just about that. It's not just physical death. As you know, hell is eternal death. Everybody knows it. You don't have to read the Bible. We all know deep inside. What that tells us is how much God really hates sin. And we should too, but we don't. The only reason I can stand up here this morning, though, is because there is a hope, isn't there? Because that what I just told you is not the complete story, is it? That's what we call the bad news. The word gospel means good news because that's what Jesus did. He brought good news. You've heard it said that Jesus died for our sins, right? Everybody knows that. Even people who are not Christian, oh, yeah, I know who Jesus is. He died for our sins. They don't know what it means, but they know that that's true, right? Well, Jesus did not just physically die like so many religions think. Something else was going on there, you see. And one of my favorite verses is 1 Peter 2.24, right? And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. And if you're following that, that should sound like good news to you. What? He did what? What is God telling us? Well, if my sins are taking me to hell and Jesus bore my sins in his body, I can say that he's suffered for my sins, hasn't he? Because if he took my sins, what happens to a person who has sins? They have to be judged and they have to be punished. That's what God has to do with someone who has sins. Well, Jesus took my sins. He became accountable for them. He suffered for me. God punished him instead of me. And this thing that, that is 
key to the gospel is something you'll never find in any other religion. It's only found in the Bible. Because you know what? Men would not think of this. God coming to die for people who don't deserve to be saved? Does God hate your sin? You bet he does. But does God love you? Just look at the cross. Just look at the cross. That's why that cross is so important to Christians. It should help you understand John 3.16, yet if you're not making the connection. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. When he gave his son, what did that mean? The only way to save sinners was to have someone take the punishment for sin. We saw that in First Peter, didn't we? And it says he loved the whole world. So that means when Jesus went to that cross, he suffered for everybody's sins. Can you imagine the pain? And when he was done in John 19.30, what did he say? It is finished. People read that those words and they 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 they, they don't know what it, what's finished. But if you understand why he was there, which is the only reason he came, it is finished. It's sweet words to hear. He, and then he did physically die, but as you know, he rose from the dead, and because of him, we can have eternal life. True religion then does not mean joining a church, does it? It means turning to the one who paid the price for you and me, putting your faith in him, letting him be king of your life because you and I are very bad at it. <laughs> it's found in a, that religion is found in a person, not in a building, not in an organization. Thank God. If it's up to us, we come up with pretty miserable ways, don't we? Let's thank the Lord. Father, we thank you this morning. This is astounding. We're astounded by the statements that the Lord Jesus made to the religious rulers, but we are even more astounded about what you did to fix the whole situation. I pray anybody who's heard this today that they might understand that you might open their eyes and they put their trust in you and put aside the religions religions and the things that don't work. I we thank you forever, Lord, in, in your name. Amen.